But before we get started, let's say a word of prayer, okay? Bow with me, please. Father God, we just thank you for this time, Lord, and I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come and, and learn your word today, Father, to learn the God-breathed word, Lord. I pray today that you would just please strengthen myself, God, as, as we give this message, God. Lord, it must be you, God, wholeheartedly, God. If you're not in it, Lord, then it, it'll do nothing, Father. It just hits the ground. I pray, Lord, for your anointing and the flowing of your Holy Spirit, God. Let us not one time try to glory in your presence today, Lord, because we know no man can. Lord, we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I told you guys a second ago that I really felt in my heart that we, this was an on-time message because I feel like in the church a lot of times we're good at taking the beating, right, on ourselves. A lot of times that we inflict on ourselves, right? We're good about being really hard on ourselves when it comes to our relationship with Christ, right? We're really good about, about knowing, well, it, I messed up. And we're good about laying in the dirt for weeks and months and years at a time. Huh? You know, we've seen people in the church that they have been beat down and drug out for years and years. We're really good about that. But a lot of times when we see the passages in the Bible that speak of Jesus being kind and gentle, because remember the word says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, we read those and we think, well, that's nice, but that's for somebody else. That's not for me. I've been there. I've been there. For instance, in Matthew 12, 20, and I don't know if you guys have these, a few of these I've just thrown on here, but it says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. And I read that scripture about a month or two ago, and it just really hit me hard because I was having a hard time accepting that Jesus was that gentle. See, what he's talking about here in this is he's talking about if there is anybody in there with just a hint of genuine faith in their life, if there is a saint that no matter how low their flame is right now, that it can barely put off a puff of smoke, his, oh Lord, his will is not to quench that. It is not his will that he should put out that faith in your life. It's not. And if you're bruised in this place, if you're downtrodden, you've been pursuing Christ, and you just seem like it's, you still can't get that upper hand, be rest assured, Christian, that it is not his will to break you. Though he does bring some bruising sometimes because we need it, right? We need it. There's been a lot of days. In fact, more times than not, I needed God to really bruise me before I really got to the point. The children of Israel were the same way. But yet it wasn't his will to destroy a true saint's faith. We see scriptures like Luke 12, 32, where it says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We see scriptures like that and we pass over them and say, well, it's his good pleasure for them to have the kingdom. That scripture, too, rocked me when I read that because I realized, Lord, I'm, I'm a part of the flock now. I know I am. I believe in Jesus Christ. I profess his name to anyone, and I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm part of the flock, man. And he's telling me there, well, then it's the Father's good pleasure that you make it to the kingdom. Though I might bruise you, Though I might have to tone you down and take care of that pride here and there, it's not my will to just keep you out of the kingdom. 
And too many times in the church, we view it like God is this man, this God who's out like this with an outstretched arm, arm keeping us out. But when the apostles preached in Acts, they told everyone who listened, they said, God's not too far from you that you can't reach and grope for him, for him and have him. Too many times in the church we view Christ again. Now, this message is not, and, I, and we say this is a disclaimer every time, this message is not to say that your performance doesn't matter. Performance matters now. But as a dear brother of mine in the faith once said, it's not the main ingredient, though. The main ingredient is Christ. Keep kicking them staples. We must understand that Christ is a rescuer. And today I want to talk to you on the topic of our rescuer. See, Christ, our, the thing about Christ being our rescuer is it shows us that our hope depends not on ourselves and how good we are, but on how good he is towards us. See, we find it, we think in our hearts that it's all of a sudden arrogant to assume that our salvation rests on him and him keeping his word, but it does. It's arrogance to think that it rests on how good we are. That was the Pharisees' problem. They didn't see their sin and their need of a Savior. Church, understand me here. He is our rescuer this morning. What he did on the cross and in his life rescues us. And the good thing about it, it's a finished work. It's not something that has to be added to. It's not something that has to be thought more than it, than it is. You don't have to put anything else in it. You just have to believe it and accept it that he is going to be true to his word. Because the Bible tells us in Romans that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that, Christ, that God raised him up, you will be saved. That's, that's, a, that's a promise. See, see, me and Marty were talking before about how the church has miscued the gospel because we, we know the prosperity stuff, right? And we want the promises that says, I know my will for you is for this and for that. But what about these right here that says, you will be saved? That matters to me. Look, I might not have the prettiest stuff. Look, if you go by my house right now, you'll see where I still got a project on my front porch that I hadn't finished. <laughs> I might not have the nicest looking stuff, but my God, I got my name's written in the book of life. And that's the promise that I want right there. Look, that is the promise that I want right there. Church, I'm telling you, he's our rescuer this morning. And he's your rescuer this morning, if you'll let him. I want to tell you three ways Christ and God, because they're one, rescues us. The first one is, he is the beginning of our faith. He is the very beginning of our faith. You might ask yourself, well, Tyler, how is that so? Well, let's look at a number of ways right here. We all know John 3.16, right? Can y'all say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, the problem is in the church today is we've known that scripture. That was the first scripture we knew since we were about three or four years old, so it's lost its effect in our life. But that scripture still holds the same weight it held when John wrote it years ago. It says, for God, let's, let's, let's examine this scripture, for God so loved the world, not because Marty was good enough, not because Tyler's been in ministry for seven years or Tyler's been here since the beginning, but simply because God so loved the world that he did what? He sent his only son. 
that if you believe that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Church, what I'm telling you this morning is he made the first move. It doesn't say he waited to see how much you dropped in the tithe box this morning. That's not what it says. It does not say that he waited to see if you would, because, you know, some people say, well, I want to get right then come to church. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. So let's go ahead and skip to the, to the next scripture in Romans 5. For those of you who think that, let's look at this. It says in Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 6, for when we were still without strength, that means you had no hope. You could not do it on your own. You couldn't do it. It says, when you were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the who? Ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still what? Sinners. Christ died for us. So if you're here and you are believing that you need to get right before you come to God, I'm here to tell you, you can't get right enough to come to him. You just can't. That's the reason why the blood's there. That's the reason why he came, because we couldn't get right. And here's the thing, we wouldn't get right without the blood and without him. So that that very notion, you need to throw that out, because that's the devil saying that you can earn your salvation. I'm here to tell you, you can't earn it. You can't earn your salvation. We must accept this truth here. God saved you simply because he loves you. There is no other reason. You can't tell me another reason why he even loved Israel as much as he did in the Bible. I read Nehemiah chapter 9 today, and it laid out all their faults and how many times God forgave them, and they still went back. You know how the chapter ended? Them admitting they messed up again and needed God again. But the Bible said there around verse 17, it said, but God who is ready to pardon, that he's in the ready stance to pardon if you would just humble yourself and call on him by faith in his finished work, he'll forgive you. He is the beginning of our faith, our rescuer. You say, well, Tyler, here, here what about my, what about, you know, what about that? What if it, I'm having a hard time accepting? Well, here's the thing. I pray that the Father draws you because not only did he come and make the first move, but he has to put in a little bit of overtime on us, right? Because not only does he come and save us, we can't have a right thought about him without him. John 6, tells us that no man can come unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Is that not magnificent? The fact that not only did he come and he died for you, but then he even goes the extra mile and says, then I'm going to draw you. Then I'm going to wake you up because if I left you to yourself, you'd never choose me. Because Brother Pastor Marty talked just about two weeks ago on that, that, that war of the flesh and the spirit man. And remember, it says when you're in the flesh, you can't please God. Let me tell you something. If you live a life in the flesh and you aren't saved, you can't have a right thought about God. The Bible says that your mind is enmity towards God. You can't have a right thought towards him. So what does God do? He looks down in his grace and in his mercy, and he says, you know, they hadn't thought one good thought about me this week. In fact, they've cussed me and they blasphemed me all this week and cursed me for all their good. But you know what? I'm so ready to pardon an individual that I'm still going to draw them. I'm still going to pull them in this morning, and I'm still going to tell them that I love you, and you too can be saved this morning. 
Church, what I'm telling you is we have a rescuer, and he made the first move. He's the author and finisher of our faith, the Word says. That means he's the starter and the ender of our faith. Church, he begins your faith. So the very fact, the very fact that you even have that conviction, the very fact that you have that uncomfortableness that says, I don't like where I'm at, I need to change, I want to change. Let me tell you something, church, do not listen to the devil that says you're not good enough because here's the thing, that might be the one time he's telling you the truth. The only bad thing is on the flip side, he's telling you you have to be good enough, and that's a lie. Let me tell you something, you'll never be good enough, but he is. God is good. God is so good that he would say bad people like me. Amen. He is the, our rescuer is the beginning of our faith. The thing about it is when you look at John 3.16, folks, I want to just clear this up to make one last analogy for you to kind of get you to grasp this. Is that when you see these people, how many of you like to watch shows like Fixer Upper and stuff, Chip and Joanna Gaines and things like that? You know, good shows, man, where we get a lot of our ideas. Me and Carlin, we like to do it a little bit here and there, and then, you know, it, I'll, I'll start a job and not finish it. Again, go, go by the house, look at my front porch. <laughs> but, but anytime we come up with something good, you know, if we throw a blanket in the right space, I'll look at it and I'll go, look at you, Joanna Gaines, throwing something out there. That just looks good. Look at you. But, you know, the thing about it, when those people walk into a house, they see everything. They don't care. They're not caught off guard by anything. When they walk in, they saw the crack in the wall. They saw the termite damage, and they see all those things before they buy that house. But the thing is, they're not buying the house for its present condition. They're buying the house because of what they're going to make it into. Church, I'm here to tell you, God was not taken off guard when he saw those cracks in your wall, Okay. He was not taken off guard when he saw the faltering foundation in there, but he knew what he had within himself to transform you into the image of God. I'm telling you, church, he was not caught off guard by your faults, okay? We, hey, we say all the time, God sees the end from the beginning. Well, then he saw your faults, and he saw the one you're going to do tomorrow and the one you're going to do the next day and the one you're going to do in a year from now. But you know what? He still died for you. He is the beginner of our faith. Church, we have a rescuer. The next point I want to I make to you this morning is this. Well, along with that, I just want to, you know what? No, the Lord told me to skip on, so we're going to go on. Point number two that I want to give you guys. Not only is he the beginning of our faith this morning, but he maintains our faith. He maintains our faith. Without Christ, you can't even keep in the faith, church. You can't. Look, if, he, if, if you needed him to save you, you're going to need him to carry you on too. I'm telling you, you cannot do this in your own strength. And that's one of the biggest, that's one of the most hated doctrines right now within the church is that you can't do it on your own. Because we're taught if we, if we pray enough, if we fast enough, all of a sudden God will just all of a sudden move. Now, don't get me wrong, prayer is important. Fasting is good. I'm not denying those things. Understand me. But if you go into it feeling like that God is only going to move on, on your behalf because you prayed for three hours, you're viewing him in the wrong light. You're going back to a works-based salvation right there, church. God moves on your behalf, remember, just because he loves you. And if it feels like he ain't moving, it's because he loves you. If he tells you no, it's because he loves you. We want to be in his will, not our own. Amen. 
He maintains our faith. That's the whole reason he told the disciples in John 14, 16. Now, I know y'all don't have this one. And it says, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper. What do we need a helper for, church? What do we need a helper for if we can do this on our own? And who's that helper? The Holy Spirit. So you might be asking this morning, but how does he help maintain our faith, Tyler? Through intercession. Through intercession this morning. It's a strange thing. We don't realize that. But right now in the heavens for you saints in here, he is making intercession for you to God the Father on your behalf. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, 26 through 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit, or what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of God. You know what that says? He's saying prayers for you that you didn't even know you, that, that should have been prayed. J.I. Packer once made this statement. He says, the Spirit doesn't pray what you wanted it to pray. It prays what you should have prayed. That's what it does. When the Spirit makes intercession for you, it ain't coming up saying, look, look, God, Tyler, he deserves it. You know, he's done really good. He drove that little white car for long enough. He deserves a truck. For those of you who don't know, I just finally got a truck. I moved up. I'm no longer in the little white car anymore. But that wasn't something that happened just because I was over here suffering, okay? But God, the Spirit doesn't look down and say, God, they deserve this. They need this. You know, they've done so good. No, the Spirit prays for what is God's will over your life. And it might be your will like it was for me that you don't have it for a while, that you learn to take care of something that you have that you learn to manage the funds or whatever it is, that you learn to manage your spiritual walk yourself instead of always relying on someone else. Now, look, I'm, look, we need, we need the church, right? We need the church. But there is a reason why David said there comes a point where you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. You have to trust that he is a man to his word right here. Church, I'm telling you, we have a rescuer, and he maintains our faith in one way is through the intercession of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. And that is so powerful, church. To think that when I'm in my lowest state, when I'm sitting here and I've sinned and I've had a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, that the Spirit is making intercession for me when I don't even know it. That the Spirit is interceding on my behalf before God to give him strength, Lord. Carry him on, God. He's ours. He's ours. You say, but Tyler, what if I, what about this sin in my life? I've been dealing with this sin for a long time, and you just don't understand what I've been going through. Great, because if I did, I'd probably view you different. Just like if I stood up here and told you all my sins, you wouldn't want me to stand up here and preach in front of you. Because we're human, right? We're human. When we see, a lot of times we're bad about looking at people's faults rather than the grace of God over their lives, right? But here's the thing, if you in here, if you feel like, Tyler, but I, I'm, I'm struggling in this, this war against the flesh, this sin, I'm here to tell you, keep fighting with the strength that God provides. Stand up. I had a conversation with a young man this week who gave his life to Christ, and, we, and I told him, I said, look, dude, you're going to fall. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and fall. Don't do that. 
But I'm telling you, when you do, you must. It is intricate that you must get up and by faith trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You must come to him humbly, praying and asking for forgiveness and saying, God, give me strength. You say, Tyler, but where is that found in Scripture? Glad you asked. We're about, we're, I'm, I'm hoping to just drop little napalm strikes of Scripture on you this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, this is big, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We, if you are in Christ this morning, you have an advocate with the Father. That when you mess up, as bad as you hate it, if you'll just get up and you'll keep walking the walk that God has called you to walk by the strength he provides, if you keep moving and you trust in that finished work on the cross, I'm telling you, he's a man to his word, and his word says we have an advocate what does that mean, though, Tyler? What does it mean? It means when we sin and we mess up, all Christ has to do, because we know he's at the right hand of the Father, all he has to do is show them hands and those feet to the Father and say, he's one of us. She's one of us, and I paid their debt. So let's keep them going. Let's keep them fighting this good fight to finish this race today. We have an advocate. It reminds me, I once watched a movie one time and there was this big fight scene in it and they were, they were laying out all these things that the, that the people said, man, we're just outnumbered. And then the guy, one of the main characters yeah, says, yeah, but we have this. And with that on our side, we're going to make it. And every time I see that scene, I think to myself, and I have an advocate right now. Every time that feels like the devil is just beating me over the head and I know I've messed up, but I'm believing by faith in the grace of Jesus Christ, I have an advocate advocate with the Father. And what does it say? Jesus Christ, the righteous. My advocation is not in my good works. My advocation, again, is not in my tithe. My advocation is not even that I stood up and I preached to the church today. My advocation is in Jesus Christ, the righteous one, our rescuer. We have a rescuer, don't we, church? And the last thing I want to cover with you today is not only does he begin our faith, not only does he maintain our faith, but he finishes our faith. He finishes our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What do you think he does while he's sitting at the right hand of the throne? He's advocating for us. The author and finisher. Philippians 1, 6, Paul was talking to them in the church of Philippi, and he said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. How wonderful that is. I remember when I was sitting in my car, and I opened my Bible, and I read that scripture, and I realized, God, I can't produce one good thing in my life. I can do some good things, you know, 
I can do some good works. I can do some good deeds. But as far as producing the fruit, that has to be you. Why? Because it's called the fruits of the Spirit. Not the fruits of the flesh, not the fruits of the actions, but the fruit of the Spirit. It's something He has to produce in me. And when I read that, I realized, God, as long as I'm coming to you, as long as I'm just laying before you, face down on the ground, crying out to you, Yahweh, to forgive me of my sins and carry me, you are going to give me what I need to carry on. That is precisely why Jesus told them, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. These things were what you needed to carry on. That's what these things were. Trying to be, I'm, I'm, I'm about to start giving the old, the old banging over here, man. Because I'm, I'm excited, church. It took me so long to understand these doctrines of grace like this. It took me so long to understand that it was not on me. I remember standing out, one of my coworkers is here. I remember talking to him and one of my other coworkers when I was beat down and I was, I was washing off something at work. And I said, what good is there in the world? Because I was so beat down on myself. And I said, and, and they tried to say, they said, God is good. And I'm looking at them going, man, you don't even know God is good. Have you seen me? Have you seen my life and what I'm doing? I understand to y'all he's good right now. But to me, it don't seem very good because I see my sin. And I was beating myself down so bad. I would sit there in the house. Seriously, true stories here. I would sit in the house and Carl and my wife would walk in the living room. And I'd be crying in the recliner while I was praying because I was just going, God, I don't see your grace right now. But the reason why, it wasn't a fault on him. It was because I was going, God, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And I, I mean, look, I, I'm going to have a booth in the Hallelujah Festival. I, I gave $200 to the shoebox. I mean, come on. Anytime Marty asks us to do something, we do it. I mean, come on, God. And the whole time, it's like God's looking at me going, congratulations, you're, do you're supposed to do those things, thank you. But that isn't what saves you. What saved you is what I did on the cross 2,000 plus years ago. And then that, my friend, is a finished work. That's why Christ said at the end of it, it is finished. Those three words, it is finished, not and it continues. It is finished, done. When you accept Jesus Christ over your life and you are truly pursuing a relationship with him, Christian, I'm here to tell you it is finished. The work is done. The fight is over as far as gaining your salvation. You still have that fight against the, the flesh now because you notice in here in that first John how he said, if anyone sins. And I just got to believe he put that if in there to let you know. Now, I'm not saying don't fight. I'm not saying lay down and just accept that you're a sinner and keep on sinning. I'm saying if anyone sins, denoting that we should still get this war against the flesh. We should, by the Spirit, take up our cross, take up our sword, which is the Word of God, and fight against this flesh, right? Amen? That's why he says, and if. But then he follows it up with that assurance, because we know we're going to sin. He says, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate. This is good news, church. Our rescuer starts, maintains, and finishes our work, our faith, and our walk. You say, well, Tyler, can you just give me some more assurance? Heck yes, I can. Romans chapter 8. Now look, this is going to be lengthy here as far as three or four verses, and I'm going to come back to one of them, okay? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let me stop right there. Church, do you understand what that is saying? He's saying if he paid such a high price for you that he gave you his one and only son, he didn't spare him, what makes you think he's not going to help you finish the race? What makes you think that he's not going to give you all the other necessary things that you need to finish this walk for him? If he didn't spare his own son, that was the utmost thing he could give. He ain't going to spare the lesser things that will help you maintain that salvation. I'm telling you, church, we have a rescuer. We have a rescuer. Who, here's the next scripture, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Church, do you, on the weight of that last statement, it is God who justifies. This is powerful, church. It doesn't say you justified yourself. It doesn't say you did enough to justify. It says it is God himself who justified you. And when the highest court acquits you of a crime, church, nothing else can be said against you. Not one thing, church. You hear me? This is why in America, why we had the Supreme Court. Because once something hits here and it gets here, once it hits the Supreme Court, church, that's all she wrote, baby. There's no way, there's, it can't go any further. Church, I'm here to tell you, we serve a God and a rescuer who sits on a throne of judgment, who is in the highest court possible in the cosmos and in this life. And when he acquits you and he says, you're forgiven, church, I'm here to tell you, you are forgiven. It is God who justifies I had to read a whole chapter in a book on that for me to get it through my school. A whole chapter denoted to it is God who justifies. It's not me. Thank God in Christ. It is not me. It reminds me when Paul in chapter 7, how he ends it, and he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? And then chapter 8, he says, but thanks be to God. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he, sent, he ends it in chapter two, in verse 2. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know if we have a piano player today. It doesn't look like we do. And that's fine if we don't. But I was just going to let you know I'm getting ready to tie this thing in. You might say, but, but Tyler, can, can you just give me something else? Because I'm that way, right? I'm like that. Anytime something happens, I just want that little extra umph, right? Really what it is is I just don't have faith in God's word, so he's got to give me another word and another word and another word and another word, right? That's what we do. But thanks be to God that the entire word of God is littered with this doctrine. Do you know in Genesis chapter 3, look this up, verse 15, right after the fall of man, he gives the first prophecy of Christ's coming. He lines up Adam, Eve, and the devil right there, and he's laying down the judgment. And when he gets to the devil, he said, look, there's going to come. A, I'm going to put enmity between you and that woman's seed, and you're going to strike his heel. But let me tell you something. He's going to bruise your head. He's going to bruise your head. In other words, he's going to crush your skull. Church, he wasn't talking about anybody else other than Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Immediately, immediately when man fell, God said, I got something for you, though. I've got something for you, and he's going to come, and he's going to bruise this thing's head right here. 
This is good news, people. We have a rescuer this morning, and it's Jesus Christ the righteous. It's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on how good you can or will be the rest of your life. It is dependent on the finished work of Jesus. And church, if we don't view him in this way, we will view him in a wrong way. This is how Christ intended himself to be viewed. Again, I'm not negating our responsibilities. I'm not negating that he will bruise us. But today, if you are in Christ and you're feeling bruised, your fire's feeling dim, ask yourself why. Is maybe he trying to teach me something? Is he trying to mold me right now? And understand that it's not his will to break you. It is not his will to extinguish the fire of those that are his this morning. But then in Zechariah chapter 3, the most powerful description of salvation that I've ever found in the Bible. I'm telling you, it'll bring tears to your eyes when you see it. It is so beautiful. It's a prophecy or it's a vision that Zechariah is seeing. And in chapter 3, it starts out, he says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. He's seeing a vision of Joshua, the high priest, and right, and they're standing for the Lord. And lo and behold, who's standing right next to him trying to say, but look what he's done. Look at the sin in his life. Look at the failures. Again, one of the few times the devil might tell the truth that he's saying he's sin. Look how filthy he is. Look how nasty he is. Look at this wretched person. And what does God say in verse 2? And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I'm going to read it off the screen. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Other versions say, is this not a brand that I plucked from the fire? And I love that. It just puts even more umph on it. Is this not something that was laying in the fire, burning to death? The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses. What can a dead man do be dead he can't breathe he can't accept Christ he can't acknowledge Christ he's dead and God said that dead man was burning in a fire and I reached down and pulled him out now if you remember what I said to you who can bring a charge against God's elect not even Satan standing at the right hand of God can bring a charge against those who are his because it is God who justifies it is God who justifies this morning the Lord rebuke you, Satan. That is beautiful. It didn't say, because see, in Pentecostal churches, we like to go, I rebuke you, Satan. I'm the head and I'm not the tail. No, you're not the head. Christ is the head. You're acting like the tail. God, <laughs> you're acting like the tail. The Lord rebuke Satan, Okay. You have no power within yourself to rebuke him. The Lord rebukes Satan. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. 
And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Church, who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. The man who started this good work in you this morning, I'm here to tell you, he's still on your side, okay? Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Look, you've had a bad week. Trust me, you're going to have another one. In fact, you might have a bad year one day, one year. And But look, I'm telling you, God is a man to his word, and he justified you then, and you're still justified today. Get up, go to the advocate, plead for that grace, and walk in it this morning. Because he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, we have a rescuer this morning. And if he has rescued you, you are rescued. He who the Son has set free is what? Free indeed. If you would stand with me this morning. And let's say you're in here this morning and you say, I don't have a rescuer. And you've sat under this message and you felt the draw, you felt this twist. Maybe you've even been questioning the authenticity of your salvation. We all do. At some point or another, I question mine about once a week. Maybe you're in here and you've been feeling that tug, that twisting on the inside. I'm here to tell you, don't ignore it. That is the Holy Spirit of God at work in you, drawing you this morning to come to him. Come to him with your filthy clothes and your dirty turban, and he'll take them from you, and he'll give you clean clothes and a clean turban. And before the devil puts this thought in your mind that look who's watching, my wife's right next to me, my husband's right next to me, my kids will see me. Church, if you let that keep you from entering the kingdom of God, there's some big problems there. There is nothing. Truthfully, we need more men and women coming in front of their kids before the face of the Lord, crying at these altars, admitting that they don't know it all, admitting that I need a Savior. Because when we raise our kids to know that we need a Savior, they'll know they need a Savior too. They need to know that we need a Savior this morning. And if that's you, I'm here to tell you these altars are going to be open for you today. They are going to be open for you today.